Section 26 of Rudder Grange. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Rudder Grange by Frank R. Stockton. Chapter 13. Pomona's Novel. Part 2. Euphemia and I exclaimed with one voice against this. We had just reached the most exciting part, and, I added, we had heard nothing yet about that affair of the taxes. "'You see, sir,' said Pomona, "'it took me so long to write out the chapters about my birth, my parentage, and my early adventures, that I hadn't time to finish up the rest. But I can tell you what happened after that just as well as if I had writ it out.' And so she went on, much more glibly than before, with the account of the doings of the lightning-rod man." There was that wretch on top of the house, a-fixin' his old rods and a-hammerin' away for dear life. He'd brought his ladder over the side fence, where the dog, a-barkin' and a-plungin' at the boy outside, couldn't see him. I stood dumb for a minute, and then I knowed I had him. I rushed into the house, got a piece of well-rope, tied it to the bulldog's collar, and dragged him out and fastened him to the bottom rung of the ladder. Then I walks over to the front fence with Lord Edward's chain, for I knew that if he got at that bulldog there'd be times, for they'd never been allowed to see each other yet. So I says to the boy, I'm going to tie up the dog, so you needn't be afraid of his jumping over the fence, which he couldn't do, or the boy would have been a corpse for twenty minutes, or maybe half an hour. The boy kinder laughed, and said I needn't mind, which I didn't. Then I went to the gate, and I clicked to the horse which was standin' there, and off he starts, as good as gold, and trots down the road. The boy, he said something or other pretty bad, and away he goes after him, but the horse was a-trottin' real fast, and had a good start. "'How on earth could you ever think of doing such things?' said Euphemia. "'That horse might have upset the wagon and broken all the lightning-rods, besides running over I don't know how many people.' "'But you see, ma'am, that wasn't my lookout,' said Pomona. "'I was a defendin' the house, and that enemy must expect to have things happen to him. "'So then I hears an awful row on the roof, and there was the man just coming down the ladder. "'He'd heard the horse go off, and when he got about half-way down and caught sight of the bulldog, "'he was madder never you see a lightin' rodder in all your born days. "'Take that dog off of there,' he yelled at me. "'No, I won't,' says I. "'I never see a girl like you since I was born,' he screams at me. "'I guess it would have been better for you if you had,' says I. And then he was so mad he couldn't stand it any longer, and he comes down as low as he could, and when he saw just how long the rope was, which was pretty short, he made a jump and landed clear of the dog. Then he went on dreadful because he couldn't get at his ladder to take it away, and I wouldn't untie the dog, because if I had he'd a torn the tendons off that fellow's legs in no time. I never see a dog in such a boiling passion, and yet never making no sound at all but blood-curdling grunts. And I don't see how the rotter would have got his ladder at all if the dog hadn't made an awful jump at him and jerked the ladder down. It just missed your geranium bed, and the rotter, he ran to the other end of it and began pulling it away, dog and all. "'Look a-here,' says I. "'We can fix him now,' and so he cooled down enough to help me, and I unlocked the front door, and we pushed the bottom end of the ladder in, dog and all, and then I shut the door as tight as it would go, and untied the end of the rope, and the rotter pulled the ladder out while I had the door to, to keep the dog from follerin', which he came pretty near doin' anyway. 
but I locked him in, and then the man began storming again about his wagon, but when he looked out and see the boy coming back with it, for somebody must a stopped the horse, he stopped storming and went to put up his ladder again. No, you don't, says I. I'll let the big dog loose next time, and if I put him at the foot of your ladder, you'll never come down. But I want to go and take down what I put up, he says. I ain't a going on with this job. No, says I, you ain't, and you can't go up there to wrench off them rods and make rain holes in the roof, neither. He couldn't get no madder than he was then, and for a minute or two he couldn't speak. And then he says, I'll have satisfaction for this. And I says, How? And he says, You'll see what it is to interfere with an ordered job. And I says, There wasn't no order about it. And he says, I'll show you better than that. And he goes to his wagon and gets a book. There, says he, read that. What of it? says I. There ain't nobody of the name of Ball lives here. That kinder took the man aback, and he said he was told it was the only house on the lane, which I said was right, only it was the next lane he oughter a gone to. He said no more after that, but just put his ladder in his wagon and went off. But I was not altogether rid of him. He left a trail of his baleful presence behind him. That horrid bulldog wouldn't let me come into the house. No matter what door I tried, there he was, just foaming mad. I let him stay till nearly night, and then went and spoke kind to him, but it was no good. He'd got an awful spite agin me. I found something to eat down cellar, and I made a fire outside and roasted some corn and potatoes. That night I slept in the barn. I wasn't afraid to be away from the house, for I knew it was safe enough, with that dog in it and Lord Edward outside. For three days, Sunday and all, I was kept out of this here house. I got along pretty well with the sleepin' and the eatin', but the drinkin' was the worst. I couldn't get no coffee or tea, but there was plenty of milk. Why didn't you get some man to come and attend the dog? I asked. It was dreadful to live that way. Well, I didn't know no man that could do it, said Pomona. The dog would have been too much for old John, and besides, he was mad about the kerosene. Sunday afternoon, Captain Atkinson and Mrs. Atkinson and their little girl in a pushwagon come here, and I told them you was gone away. But they says they would stop a minute, and could I give em a drink? And I had nothing to give it to them in but an old chicken bowl that I had washed out. For even the dipper was in the house, and I told them everything was locked up, which was true enough, though they must have thought you was a queer kind of people. But I wasn't a-goin' to say nothing about that dog, for, to tell the truth, I was ashamed to do it. So as soon as they'd gone, I went down into the cellar, and it's lucky that I had the key for the outside cellar door. And I got a piece of fat corn beef and the meat axe. I unlocked the kitchen door and went in, with the axe in one hand and the meat in the other. The dog might take his choice. I knowed he must be pretty nigh famished, for there was nothing that he could get at to eat. As soon as I went in, he came running to me, but I could see he was shaky on his legs. He looked a sort of wicked at me, and then he grabbed the meat. He was all right then. Oh, my, said Euphemia, I am so glad to hear that. I was afraid you never got in. But we saw the dog. Is he a savage yet? Oh, no, said Pomona. Nothing like it. Look here, Pomona, I said. I want to know about those taxes. When do they come into your story? Pretty soon, sir, she said, and she went on. After that, I knowed it wouldn't do to have them two dogs so that they'd have to be tied up if they see each other. Just as like as not, I'd want them both at once, and then they'd go to fightin' and leave me to settle with some bloodthirsty lightnin' rotter. 
So I knowed if they had once a fair fight and found out which was master, they'd be good friends afterwards. I thought the best thing to do would be to let em fight it out, when there was nothing else for em to do. So I fixed things up for the combat. Why, Pomona! cried Euphemia. I didn't think you were capable of such a cruel thing. It looks that way, ma'am, but really it ain't, replied the girl. It seemed to me as if it would be a mercy to both of them to have the thing settled. So I cleared away a place in front of the woodshed and unchained Lord Edward, and then I opened the kitchen door and called the bull. Out he came, with his teeth a showin' and his bloodshot eyes and his crooked front legs. Like lightning from the mountain blast, he made one bounce for the big dog, and oh, what a fight there was! They rolled, they gnashed, they knocked over the wood horse and sent chips a flyin' all ways at once. I thought Lord Edward would whip in a minute or two, but he didn't, for the bull stuck to him like a burr, and they was havin' it, ground and lofty, when I hears someone run up behind me and turnin' quick. There was the Episcopalian minister. My, 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 he hollers, what an awful spectacle. Ain't there no way of stoppin' it? No, sir, says I, and I told him how I didn't want to stop it and the reason why. Then he says, Where's your master? And I told him how you was away. Isn't there any man at all about? says he. No, says I. Then, says he, if there's nobody else to stop it, I must do it myself. And he took off his coat. No, says I, you keep back, sir. If there's anybody to plunge into that arena, the blood be mine. And I put my hand, without thinking, against his black shirt bosom to hold him back. But he didn't notice, being so excited. Now, says I, just wait one minute, and you'll see that bull's tail go between his legs. He's weakening. And sure enough, Lord Edward got a good grab at him, and was a shaking the very life out of him, when I run up and took Lord Edward by the collar. Drop it, says I, and he dropped it, for he knowed he'd whipped, and he was pretty tired hisself. Then the bulldog, he trotted off with his tail a-hanging down. Now then, says I, them dogs will be bosom friends forever after this. Ah, me, says he, I'm sorry indeed that your employer, for who I've always had a great respect, should allow you to get into such habits. That made me feel real bad, and I told him, mighty quick, that you was the last man in the world to let me do anything like that. and that if you'd a been here you'd a separated them dogs if they'd a chawed your arms off that you was very particular about such things and that it would be a pity if he was to think you was a dog-fightin gentleman when i'd often heard you say now that you was fixed and settled the one thing you would like most would be to be made a vestryman i sat up straight in my chair pomona i exclaimed you didn't tell him that That's what I said, sir, for I wanted him to know what you really was. And he says, Well, well, I never knew that. It might be a very good thing. I'll speak to some of the members about it. There's two vacancies now in our vestry. I was crushed, but Euphemia tried to put the matter into the brightest light. Perhaps it may all turn out for the best, she said, and you may be elected, and that would be splendid. But it would be an awfully funny thing for a dog fight to make you a vestryman. I could not talk on this subject. Go on, Pomona, I said, trying to feel resigned to my shame, and tell us about that poster on the fence. I'll be to that almost right away, she said. It was two or three days after the dog fight that I was down at the barn, and happening to look over to old John's, I saw that tree man there. He was a show in his book to John, and him and his wife and all the young ones was a standin' there, drinkin' down them big peaches and pears as if they was all real. 
I knowed he'd come here again, for them fellers never gives you up, and I didn't know how to keep him away, for I didn't want to let the dogs loose on a man what, after all, didn't want to do no more harm than to talk the life out of you. So I just happened to notice, as I came to the house, how kind of desolate everything looked, and I thought perhaps I might make it look worse, and he wouldn't care to deal here. So I thought of putting up a poster like that, for nobody whose place was a-goin' to be sold for taxes would be likely to want trees. So I run in the house, and I wrote it up quick and put it up. And sure enough, the man, he came along soon, and when he looked at that paper and tried the gate, and looked over the fence and saw the house all shut up and not a livin' soul about, for I had both the dogs in the house with me, he shook his head and walked off, as much as to say, if that man had fixed his place up proper with my trees, he wouldn't a come to this. And then, as I found the poster worked so good, I thought it might keep other people from comin' a-botherin' around, and so I left it up, but I was a-goin' to be sure and take it down before you came. As it was now pretty late in the afternoon, I proposed that Pomona should postpone the rest of her narrative until evening. She said that there was nothing else to tell that was very particular, and— I did not feel as if I could stand anything more just now, even if it was very particular. When we were alone, I said to Euphemia, If we ever have to go away from this place again— But we won't go away, she interrupted, looking up to me with as bright a face as she ever had, at least not for a long, long, long time to come. And I'm so glad you're to be a vestryman. End of section 26